This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at OsirisPod.com. DIY and How Studios presents Deeper Digs in Rock, part of the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project. Music, culture, technology, and rock and roll. Now, on with the show. Hello, fellow archaeologists. Welcome to Deeper Digs in Rock, a production of Rock and Roll Archaeology. Christian Swain here, behind the mic in Los Angeles today. Thank you for joining us. In Deeper Digs, we go a little further, dig a little deeper into specific topics that tie in with rock and roll history, the music, the culture, and the technology. It's a part of our Rock and Roll Archaeology network of podcasts. Please take a listen to some of our other shows, like Real Rock with Andy King, The Rock and Roll Librarian with Shelley Sorensen, Vinyl Snob with Dave Whitaker, and our newest show, Art of Rock with Caution Friends. Finally, four continuing education units and two one-up all your friends. Go get the one that started it all, the Rock and Roll Archaeology Podcast. RNRAP is our big work in progress, a chaptered chronological set of audio documentaries about the rock and roll era. It's taken us four years, but we've done 15 of them now, and we're about halfway there. All that stuff is at rockandrollarchaeology.com or wherever you find great podcasts. Uh, that's the business. So... We have a very special guest for you today, a rock and roll legend. Not one, but two big-time bands to his credits, the Guess Who and Backman Turner Overdrive. So I'm talking Randy Backman, and by the way, that is his preferred pronunciation. I sat down with Randy first to talk about his newest offering, By George, By Backman. It's a set of George Harrison songs bookended by a Backman composition, between Two Mountains, which gives this record a unifying theme. Uh, these are not straight-ahead covers of Harrison's most famous numbers. Randy has his own take. These are interpretations, and in some cases, wild reinterpretations. It's cool, it's, it's different, and it grows on you. What is obvious throughout is Backman's deep, emphatic grasp of the material. He's been listening to these songs most of his life. His love for the quiet Beatles music shines through. The title, once again, is By George, By Backman. We'll get into the old days, too. BTO, the Guess Who, honors, awards, and how the Beatles came up with that opening chord to Hard Day's Night. So let's get to it. Let's talk. Randy Backman. 
Welcome to Deeper Digs in Rock, Randy Backman. Thanks. Good to be here. Well, we would love having you. This is this is going to be great. So, um, I do want to start with one question on the new album, and after a bit, we'll get back to it. But uh, most importantly, the album by George by Backman, uh, an album mostly of George Harrison covers. Your your own composition between two mountains being the sole edition. Uh, and I will tell the diggers right away uh, that these are serious interpretations, uh, unusual arrangements, and not straight covers. Uh, but first, tell us about your affinity to, to George Harrison. Why, why him over the other Fab Four? Way back in the day, I had an Elvis hairdo. As everybody did. Right, right. The Beatles right, even right. had it, right? The yeah. big wave, oh, yeah, right? The, the, the brill cream yeah, and the yeah, thing yeah, and yeah, the yeah. dippity do or whatever it was. And then suddenly you ask your mother for her hair dryer and you blow dried your hair and you had a Beatles haircut, <laughs> which is very revolutionary at the time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah. The, uh, mop, the first look, time the right? Beatles were on Ed Sullivan, mm-hmm. yeah, February, February 1964. 1964. Mm-hmm was a shock to the whole world. And yeah. I think 70 million people or so saw that on Ed Sullivan. They did, 70 million, yeah. And it changed every band. Overnight, it went from the huh? front man, Elvis, and backup guys, or Gene Vincent, or Rick Nelson, or Eddie Cochran, yeah. and backup guys, to three guys standing up front. Singing Identical suits, all and, singing yeah. harmony, all mm-hmm. trading lead lines in some songs, and everybody going, what? We can now sing? Let's do Beatles songs. So every drummer... Most of them are lousy singers. I'm not talking Karen Carpenter or Don Henley, who are the greatest. Right, 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 right. But most drummers, they all wanted to sing Ringo songs. Right. They wrote right, special right, right. songs for Ringo. Yeah, yeah. I've been, you know, boys and, and with a little help and things yeah. like that. There were three or four notes that he got by because the cool thing about the Beatles is everybody knew every guy and some girls loved Ringo and some loved Paul and some loved George and a lot loved, you know, John, whatever. And... um I then got relegated to do the George songs. I was the lead guitar player. Yeah. So I started doing George songs, Don't Bother Me. And like from his first album on, I did all his songs. Three years ago, I got invited to Liverpool for John Lennon's 75th birthday. Mm -hmm. A friend of mine from Calgary, Alberta, Jeff Perry, owns the rights to Let It Be, which is a Beatles stage show where they start in leathers like you're wearing in Hamburg and doing that stuff. And then they come back and they're in their suits and they do She Loves You. And it's right up to the Sergeant Pepper clothes and the clothes on the roof of, of Abbey oh, Road yeah, yeah, when, yeah. when they did it on, on top of the studio. And um, so he said, I'm premiere it in London for a week. Come and see it there. That I'm doing it in Liverpool on John Lennon's birthday. The 75th birthday. So come birthday, with right? me. So I go. This is John's 75th birthday. We, I go to the performance. It's great. I do the Beatles tour on the red double-decker bus, and I go to Strawberry Fields, the orphanage. I go to yeah. Penny Lane and get a haircut. <laughs> I go and see Eleanor Rigby's grave, and it's really... In, I go see you the are ca- serious I Beatles go to the Casbah. <laughs> I go to the Cavern. I go to every place. Uh, next day, I go to the Beatles Museum, and John Lennon's sister comes, Julia, and brings his favorite birthday cake, which is not even cake. It's brownies full of walnuts. Oh. And she gives everybody, and said, this was John's favorite birthday cake. Wow. And she gives everybody the glasses. Yeah. So I have a pair of the glasses. Mm-hmm. So that was incredible. And then I realized, gee, John was like one of the oldest Beatles. I think Ringo's the oldest, but yeah, Ringo when does George turn show. 75? That would be great, because even on my radio well, show, right. I don't want to celebrate when these guys crashed or passed away or left us. I celebrate their birthday. Mm-hmm. So how can I celebrate George's birthday? Well, gee, it's in February. What you end up calling February, mm-hmm. because the Beatles met, formed, became the Beatles, not from the Silver Beatles, but they actually became the Beatles in February. 
they got a local reputation. The next February, they signed with Brian Epstein. Yep. The next February, they signed with George Martin, cut their stage Parlophone. show okay. live with on Parlophone. Yeah. And then the next February, they're on Ed Sullivan. And George's birthday being in February, on the 25th of February. So, you are making some cosmic connections. Well, here. yes. And I thought, <laughs> gee, I'm going to do George's songs. I'm going to do an album of George's songs. Because I had a new label saying, do something a little different. Don't do your normal Randy Bachman shtick, right? So I thought, I'll take these George songs. When I iTuned them or Googled them, I found cover versions of, like, If I Needed Someone by the Hollies that sounded exactly like the Beatles. Mm-hmm. And I figured, hmm, I'll listen halfway through this, but I already know what's coming. It's just a copy. Right. I've heard oh, Guitar yeah, Gently Weeps oh, I mean, by yeah. a zillion guys. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's the same yeah. thing. Yeah. So what I'm going to do Even as a prince, what uh, I want to do as a songwriter, from songwriter to songwriter, mm-hmm. like Junior Walker did These Eyes or Lenny Kravitz did American Woman, take it and make it your my own song. Yeah, change a little bit. Lenny changed it quite a bit. I didn't like it at first. Now I love it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. Did you see um, last week Jimmy Fallon and? Uh, Kevin Bacon did American Woman. No, did they? They're dressed up like the Guess Who. They did the song. <laughs> oh, it was it was incredible. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, anyways, I, I embarked on this journey of doing George songs as a songwriter, doing the other songwriter songs, and not trying to rewrite the Lord's Prayer, which was like My Sweet Lord. Yeah. You know what I mean? And not even doing that song. Of course, of course. So I just took his songs and reinterpreted them, like somebody had given me lyrics. And a melody line and said, record this from scratch. Finding a new groove, a new tempo, bringing his songs into more modern sounding loops, like um, If I Needed Someone. Mm-hmm. It's like acid jazz rock. Yes. You know what I mean? That yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. I saw the Gypsy Kings. I love that guitar thing. So I did that in You Like Me Too Much and I Like You. Mm-hmm. And I also put the tag ending on Here Comes the Sun. I thought I would take Here Comes the Sun and take the major chord and make it a minor song. So I took all of his major chords and made the songs minors, which give them a slightly different note once in a while, like the major minor third, like either flattened or stuff. And it just made a whole new... It did. And that led to yet another chord that was another minor chord. Mm -hmm. So the chord progression I got for Here Comes the Sun for me was like a magical thing Mm -hmm. to try to sing his melody line and go where that took me. D minor, G minor seventh with a ninth on it all these weird chords, and then taking it up three tones to a different major key, and then going back to end where I started again so I could do the next verse. That was like, that took me three months where I go... Just uh, just working yeah, out um, that particular song. Little darling, it's been a long, long time. Yeah. Here comes the sun, here comes the sun, here comes the sun. It's all right. All those different things. It's all right. It's all those different chords. That took me forever because I'd end up in the wrong space. And then when I went to start the next verse or the solo, I'd be in a different key. So I had to find these transitional notes. And then I figured, well, I'm doing this album of George's. If it sells, and it's bound to sell because there's Georgian Beatle fans everywhere. Yes, there are. Word of mouth now. Yeah. I'm not going to make a cent. So I think I'm going to try to put one of my songs on there. You did, yeah. And what, yeah. What, what, what would, me being George, what would it be like to go to a session with Mount Lennon and Mount <laughs> McCartney who show up with 35 songs right. yeah. Can't get and a word indulge in themselves right. forever and finally after about a week, hey, hey George, you got anything? Well, I have a song called Taxman. I have a song called Piggies. I have a song called, you know, Here Comes the Sun. Something, okay, let's, uh, let's give yeah, it a just, go. Yeah, yeah. And they would get one song on. Yeah. So I thought I would write a song 
about George between the these two mountains. Right. And I didn't know what to call it. Mm-hmm. You know, by the way, I'm George. That could be, I didn't know what to call it. <laughs> and in the middle of the night, I just woke up and I thought, I don't think anyone's de- been written a song called Between Two Mountains. And I wrote a song, and it was very trite and very 15-year-old and very stupid. Yeah. Valley Deep Mountain uh, High is the only How one can I stand tall me, so. between yeah. a mountain like George yeah. and Paul? I mean, that's really yeah. stupid. Yeah. And I woke up at 3 in the morning and felt that there was a presence in my room. If you have any kids mm. and you're asleep, uh-huh. you can tell when your kid comes in your room. You're asleep. Yeah. And you, somebody's in your room. You look over, and they're standing there with their blanket or a teddy bear, and they've had a bad dream. Oh, you've had a bad dream? Come on in with Daddy. Yeah. Put them in bed. When they go to sleep, you take them back to their bed. So I feel like there's a presence in my room, and I wake up, and it's like there's nobody there. But this presence, it's almost like a dog comes and goes, hmm, and walks out. The dog wants you to follow it. Yeah. Well, so this presence takes me into my next room. Really? Which just has my laptop and a mm-hmm. guitar. Mm-hmm. And I sit down, and I write these lyrics. Amazing. There's peace within. Just look inside. Uh, all the love is there that you need and you can change the world through this kind of thing that that's inside everybody. Yeah. So if you read the lyrics to Between Two Mounds, they're almost not my lyrics. They're it sounds like George. Like George. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, and, I did and read And a week them, yeah. before this, I had mm-hmm. seen something on, I think, VH1, a story on George Harrison. Uh, the month before, I had seen, I think, Martin Scorsese's two or three hour doc on George Harrison yep. that was on BBC One. Mm-hmm. And I was very en- enthralled and enchanted by what both George and John did at the end of their lives. They put their career on their line and sang about give peace a chance, war is over if you want it, never mind Merry Christmas, everybody. War is over if you want it, you can have it now. Yeah. Uh, give peace a chance, all you need is love, love is the answer, uh, all things must come to pass, my sweet Lord, Harry Krishna, all that stuff. And I thought, these guys really put it on the line. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to when the Beatles first came to New York and were on Ed Sullivan. Then they came back to be on Sullivan again later on in the month of February. Yeah. They met Bob Dylan. Yeah. And he said to both, all of them, now that you've got the attention of the world, say something. And they and that's what they did. Take, uh, Once they got notice, through all yeah. the rocking and all the talking mm-hmm. and all, the, all that stuff, they came out and said, give peace a chance, love each other, let it be, all you need is love. And that's what this whole album is, me loving George and that message and Between Two Mountains is a real incredible love song and the, the song that n- near the end of the album Give Me Love Give Me Love when George oh, that's, Harrison that's did that favorite it had like 30 songs right yeah, I mean yeah. 30 chords Yeah, I mean Give Me Love yeah. Give Me yeah. Love Give Me, yeah. give me Peace and on it's Earth kind of right, repetitive. Right. it very repeats it's like a one verse thing and I thought uh-huh. most of his songs had a lot of chords like something in the way she moves mm-hmm. I took down to the bare rock minimum of three chords and the truth mm-hmm. So like while my, my guitar gently weeps is just a couple of chords rather than a whole bunch. It doesn't have the turnaround chords or anything. We just rocked out like the Who doing I Could See for Miles or, or yeah. the T.O. rock out song, right? <laughs> and so I kind of did that with, with his other song, Give Me Love, Give Me Peace on Earth. And I found these loops and it's some great. of them, yeah. some of those loops are actually on an old Mellotron. So we got a Mellotron because we wanted to play some of the sounds there. There's some of these flutes things and some of the end of the song. And I took the liberty of going to every Beatles song, which I know backwards and forwards, and all the outtakes and bootlegs that I've gathered over the years and put all these little backward things in it. Now Now, when you've got Pro Tools, you can just reverse a bar or two or something. Yeah. You don't have to take the tape <laughs> no and tape put it upside down like I used to do in the old days. <laughs> and so I had a lot of fun with these songs, putting some of them together, 
doing beetle transitions and noises and doing bass things and we just had a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So it's like you take a band that's been together. My band's been together 30 years. Yeah, I was going to ask. You know, so you get us. these guys that have been together and saying, yeah. guess what, guys? We're going in and we're going to do like 12 Beatles songs and we're going to make them unrecognizable yeah. until the vocal starts. Right. And people actually play this album now as a concert. They sit around at a barbecue or a bunch of people our age going, let's play this song and see who could start singing first. And they don't know what it is. It's the first time they've heard it. Yeah, it, suddenly, it was a little disconcerting the first time Suddenly this thing starts up and right. you go, well, that's cool. And suddenly the lyrics go and you go, what? Huh? How yeah. do those fit over that? Yeah. And it's weird. Yeah. And then the next time they hear it and the next time they hear it and then they start to love it. Yeah. My son and I went to Beetlefest early March. Yeah, and let in, me just in, tell in, the in listeners, Jersey. your son Tal, yeah. who's had a... His own career, his own monster his, his hit. Own yeah. monster hit. Right. Uh, she, she's uh, so high. She's so high. Great song. That's so. a very Beatles yeah. song, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, because we had it's obviously in the DNA. Because right? on this album, doing the Georging, George did a lot of slide guitar, and a lot of it was in harmony. Mm-hmm. Here was my son. I said, "Hey, I want you to come and sing an extra part mm-hmm. and play the double harmony." So I'm playing rhythm in a lot of these, which is wonderful to play rhythm and sing. And I pretty much pretend I'm George Harrison. <laughs> <laughs> and then they have these two guys on either side of me doing the slide. In, in between two mountains, which yeah. is you know, basically George Licks. And also in every single song on this album, I took one of George's signature solos from a different song and put it in a different song. So we listen to the beginning of the middle of two mountains. Yeah. It's And I Love Her. It's dun da da dun. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Da da And that comes in the middle and in the outro. And when you hear it, that's very familiar. But I've had people call me saying, this bothered me for three weeks. Finally, I heard And I Love Her on the air. And, and it's your it solo. Right, right. And I, and I don't know why you didn't do My Sweet Lord. And I said, I couldn't rewrite the Lord's Prayer. It is what it is. <laughs> but I took the his guitar thing and we put it over Don't Bother Me. Right. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. his guitar things are flowing in there out of the blue as little gifts from the catalog of George. So you hear that, folks. You definitely want to yeah. pay close attention to uh, Oh, to some the of album. the songs have got the, the solo from uh, It's Only Love. Da, 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 da. They're hidden in there. Oh. But you just got to listen to the lead guitar parts between the vocals and a lot of the solos and a lot of the intros, and they're like all George's stuff. Mm-hmm. Give Me Love, the the big riff I play in that is from Wonderwall, that him and Clapton playing that. Do, 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 do. Give me oh, love, yeah. give me love. Mm-hmm. Halfway through it, I do, 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 and that was Clapton's line. I got Wonderwall, which is not really a soundtracks are not usually that great. But there's this one song on Wonderwall. I think it's called Wonderwall that has Clapton playing it, and I took that riff and I put it in there. And like, so you got to be a real Clapton George fan. Like the two of them were real bros, right? <laughs> oh, of they were like, yeah, yeah. Well, they shared same a wife. wife and all this. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> we share guitars and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and remain friends. So yes. pretty, pretty, pretty crazy. So, um, all right. So we'll come back to by George by Backman in a bit. Um, so let me ask you this: Neil Young, Joni Mitchell, Leonard Cohen, Gordon Lightfoot, Rush, and of course the Guess Who and BTO. Okay, so how come so many great rockers come from uh, the uh, Great White North of Canada? I think a lot of it has to do with the struggle we have. The cities are very, very, very far apart. Mm-hmm. To be a musician in Canada, a successful musician, you're talking heavy mileage. Wow, you're right. You do a tour, you got to drive five or 600 miles to the next gig. major gig where you might play. Mm-hmm. And it ain't California or Florida. You're driving through <laughs> six months of the year, blizzard, snow, slush, three feet of snow, icy highways, highways closed. Guys driving off cliffs and mountains. We've all done that. 
So you've got to be really dedicated to finish your gig, get in the car and drive through a blizzard for four and a half hours, hoping that somebody might come out the next day in the blizzard in Saskatoon and or Regina or whatever right. to come and see us. <laughs> but just in case 10 people come, let's risk our lives and drive there all night through this blizzard. You know what I mean? It's like amazing. Yeah. You take survival gear in your car yeah. when you're on tour there. I mean, really? you, take, okay. you take little sterno cans because uh-huh. your car blows up or goes in the ditch. You You'll have to stay alive. You'll freeze to death. You, right, right. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So really, it's. I think I, I see your point. It's and like only the dedicated survive. Right. And right. also what came into us in our little city mm-hmm. growing up in Winnipeg, which is the top of the Great Plains. Yeah. So at night... I had a little rocket radio, as did Neil Young and Burton Cummings, all of us guys. And you put a little thing in your ear. The rocket radio was a little rocket. Oh, yeah. It was an oscillator. Mm -hmm. You plugged it into your wall plug onto something metal, which was usually your bed, and you lifted up the nose of this rocket, and it would find a radio station. There was no volume control. You just put it So your parents didn't know you were listening to the radio. They open your door, your room to make sure you're asleep. I did you, the same thing, but you, I was in L.A. But uh, yeah, you've but, got yeah. a thing in your ear, and you're laying down yeah. there. And so at night, we'd listen to WLS, mm-hmm. Dick Biondi. Mm-hmm. We'd listen to WNOA, New Orleans. We listened to Wolfman Jack somewhere in Mexico, XREL, yeah, whatever that's station. Right. That's right. We would yeah. get all this stuff. Wow! And hear this music, and mm-hmm. then I'd go and meet Neil Young the next day or the next weekend, and say. Did you hear that song Tuesday night by Jimmy Reed or by so-and-so, that great blues song? Yeah, man, he had a rocket radio too. So whatever we got and whatever our local radio stations played influenced what we wrote as a band and what we played as a cover band. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Winnipeg, we had so many people that were immigrants that came from the British Isles. So there's always cousins sending you singles by Cliff Richard and the Shadows, Shane Fenton and the Fentones, then the Beatles, then all the Beatles copies, Jerry and the Pacemakers. So we got these singles when they were hits or when they came out in England, way before they were played in Canada or the States. We were doing Beatles stuff in 62. Before they America made it on the radio. America and Canada wasn't doing it until 64, until yeah. yeah, they weren't yeah. at Sullivan. Yeah, yeah. We already had that done and covered. Wow. So that influenced a lot of our music. So when they broke, you and guys And when you're playing as a break, band right. and you're playing a high school dance, uh-huh. if the kids don't dance, you never get hired again. Of course. So you play the radio mm-hmm. and you know, you're playing like the Beach Boys and the Ventures and all that kind of stuff. And in between, you do a Beatles song that they might have heard on the radio by the local radio station, and suddenly you're a hit band. And yeah. so, like, the band I was in, Chad Allen Reflections, which became the Guess Who, yes. was the top band in town. The next band under us was a tie between Neil Young and the Squires and Burton Cummings and the Devrons. Right. And then below that was Fred Turner and the Rockin' Devils, who, when I left... The Guess Who, I got Fred in my band, and we became right, back with Turner Overdrive. So right, right. Recycling the same four guys. Yeah, because there's only so many of you uh, up there. Who be, had that, that kind could, of passion? That could, exactly, that could survive. That every time uh, the there was a rehearsal, required we were the first ones at the happen, rehearsal, right. we were the last ones to leave. The other yeah. guys that slept in and didn't come, they were gone out of the band. Right. You had to be ruthless even those days. Mm-hmm. Or you're playing on stage... And the guy puts down his bass and goes and dances with his girlfriend. You're playing Sleepwalk or something. <laughs> He's out of the band. You know what I mean? Your girlfriend's got to sit there and wait till the end of the night. You've gone through this. Dude. and You know, she has to go sit out there. She dances with the guy. You get mad at the guy. You know? so. Oh, my gosh. All right. So uh, let me ask you this. I understand you have a phonographic memory. Well, I think everybody had to in those days. Rock and roll was not written out. It was not something you wrote. Mm-hmm. You heard Chuck Berry, you bought the record, you learned to sing Johnny Be Good, you learned to play the intro to Johnny Be Good, mm-hmm. which I'd heard earlier on one of my dad's records by Benny Goodman. It was Charlie Christian playing or T Bone Walker doing that. That's how In the Mood Starts by 
Glenn Miller. But with horns. Into the swing thing, right? But you take that and play it on guitar, and suddenly it's Johnny B. Good or O'Carroll. So Chuck Berry's taking all this and imposing it. So I had heard this. My parents had, you know, Benny Goodman and Harry James and Frank Sinatra and all that stuff. And that stuff was all familiar. Then when I hear Chuck Berry doing it, Bo Diddley doing it, and Little Richard doing it. It wasn't unfamiliar. It wasn't unfamiliar. Right. And I, it got to the point where you would buy the Chuck Berry record and play that A-side for probably a month, uh-huh. learn the lyrics, learn the guitar parts, flip it over, do the B-side, and instead of trading like comic books, you'd trade that forty-five to another guy and you would get Gene Vincent's Bebop Alula with Woman Love on the flip side Uh Uh and then trade it for Hound Dog and Don't Be Cruel Uh the B-sides were just as important as the A-side so you had to hear this thing and played over and over so phonographic it's like photographic but when you hear it because nothing was written then you'd write out the lyrics obviously but when it was played I would remember it yeah yeah. I found that out by accident Mm -hmm. because I started playing violin when I was five had a great violin teacher. I was doing Royal Conservatory music. So it's Chopin and Tchaikovsky. And I had this teacher who was a wonderful lady. And she would put this music in front of me, not knowing I had this memory. And I didn't know I had it either. And she would play it through once. And she would say, okay, take this home and practice it all week. And I would say, well, I know it. What do you mean you know it? Well, I'd get my violin and play it. She had just played it and I knew it. Wow. She had no idea. Right. And she'd say, okay, I'll give you another one. And she'd play it, and I would go home and I'd say, why do I have to practice these for like a whole seven days and come back next Saturday morning and play them for you again? So it's just a natural She'd give ability, me three. Right. And then she said, okay, I think, and that got to be 10 or 11. You're good enough to um, be in the junior school symphony. Mm-hmm. So once you go to try out for the symphony, you'll be second violin, which is a big deal, yeah. out of four violins. Mm-hmm. It's in the school where Neil Young goes to school. It's at Calvin High. So I take a bus there. I go there Saturday morning. I'm there with like 75, 80, 90 kids are all trying out for this junior symphony, which is a big deal then. Yeah. Because we had the big Winnipeg Symphony where kids, you'd go and hear Peter and the Wolf, and they're trying to get you involved in playing classical music, greatest yeah. hits, mm-hmm. all the stuff from the Bugs Bunny cartoons <laughs> that was all Beethoven and Chopin and stuff like that and Bach and all that stuff. And um, I'm there trying out a song, and I make a mistake. And there's tap, 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 and it's the conductor, and everybody stops. And he goes, second violin, bar 34, it's an E natural, not an E flat. I, and I don't know what to say. Let's take it from the top. We start to play this thing. We get to bar 34. I play the same note. He goes, tap, tap, tap. Second violin, could you please play me an E, sh- an e natural? It's an open you string. Read I play the open music. string. Can you play it up high? I play it up high. Can you play me an E flat? Well, in an open string, you can't go the one lower. Uh-huh. So I go up high and I play it one lower. And he goes, so do you know the difference between E and E flat? And I go... Yeah, let's do it again off the top. We get to the bar, same bar. I play the same note. I'm playing a blue note. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like a flatted third kind mm-hmm. of thing. And he says, what don't you understand? And I said, I don't even know what bar 34 means. And I was in tears. All the kids are laughing. Of course. This is mass bullying. There's yeah. like 80 kids laughing at me. I put my violin in the case. I take the bus home. Uh. I go home. My mother says, what happened? Are you in the symphony? I say, no, I quit. What do you mean you quit? I don't know what I'm doing. The next night, I saw Elvis on TV. I said, what is that? Oh, it's rock and roll. The that maniac, night? that good-looking guy's Elvis. That's what I want to do. There's no notes. No, Nobody gives yeah. a crap. He's jumping around with the guitar. He's playing. He's singing. He's got a mic. He's dancing. He's got great hair. Right. 
I got a, my cousin had a guitar, I bought it, I could play lead guitar, because mm-hmm. all you play in violin is a lead, it's a lead instrument. Mm-hmm. So I get a guitar and I just find the notes Same, out yeah. of my, that are in my head. Yeah. Same as playing violin. Yeah. And yeah. I go to try out for a band called Chad Allen mm-hmm. and the Reflections, and they want a rhythm guitar player. So I'm playing rhythm guitar player, and the lead guitar player breaks a, breaks a string. So in the middle of rehearsal, I go into the lead, and they they're all, they all go, wow, you play better lead than our lead. Do you want to be our lead guitar? And I said, sure, that's why I came. So from that point on, I was lead guitar in the Guess Who. Yeah, yeah. And I've played yeah. lead ever since. Yeah. Let me, let me ask another big moment for you growing up. Um, you met Les Paul. Yeah. You uh, actually roadied for him, I think, one night, right? Yeah, yeah. I met Chet Atkins. I met all the great guys. Mm-hmm. And one thing I realized, there's a guitar, there's a club that's called the Non-Ego Guitar Player Club. That if you're a guitar player, you will take the time for a 14-year-old kid or a 40-year-old guy or an 80-year-old guy who's played guitar who wants to ask you a question or give you a compliment or something like that. Right. So I may be 15. Les Paul's all over the radio. Oh, hi, the moon, via oh, yeah, Dios, yeah, all that yeah, stuff. And yeah. they're talking about this magical guy that plays everything, and his wife sings her own harmony, oh, yeah, and nobody man, could yeah. figure that out. Mm-hmm. And they're playing the Rancho Don Carlos nightclub. Come and see how they do these tricks, because it's just the two of them, and they make this record, the sound that you hear on the radio. So I don't even tell my parents. I just get on the bus after school. I go to the other side of Winnipeg, which is three bus transfers. And I get there, and it's like 4, 35 o'clock in the afternoon. And the club is closed. The guy comes to open the club and he goes, hi, what are you doing here? I said, well, I came to see Les Paul. And he says, you can't get in. <laughs> oh, you're it's too a young. Su- right, it's right. a separate club. Right. We serve alcohol. <laughs> Unless you're with an adult, you can't get in. Right. I go, what? I can't get in. <laughs> so I'm going, I'm sitting on the lawn. I've got Les Paul Mary Ford's album under my arm. A Cadillac pulls up with a trailer behind. The window rolls down. It's like, hi, kid. What are you doing? I look and it's Les Paul. Right. And Mary Ford's sitting beside him. There's a kid in the back who was his son, Gene, who played mm-hmm. drums with him. Mm-hmm. He says, did you come to see me tonight? And I goes, yeah, but I can't get in. He says, I'll get you in. Help me, help me pull in these tape recorders. He had six Ampeg tape recorders, single, oh, tra- yep, single yep. tracks. Run on a remote control, you know, pause, play, record, fast forward. Yeah. That he had attached to his Les Paul with a button called the pulverizer, which is just the controls. Yeah. On how, but he's running six machines. So he'd go to the crowd and play rhythm. And that. There's my rhythm track that he played back. Pull it, yeah. Here's bass, boom. Mm-hmm. boom. Here's my lead. Du, 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 du. And now I've got that down. Now Mary Ford's going to sing. They had Les Pauls with a gooseneck mic that came out. So they would walk around to the audience, like a Mexican band, mariachi band, to every table and serenade the table because they had the microphones there. Yeah. He brought his own PA system. This guy had everything. What year was this? I don't know, 58 50, or something. 50. Wow, yeah. So far, but ahead. I have to watch him uh-huh. in the kitchen. Uh-huh. I can't go out there because the guy won't let me out there. So then they had big swinging doors with big round windows, maybe two feet round. Yeah, glass windows. So raiders wouldn't bump into each other with these swinging doors, right, carrying right, in right. trays of dinners and drinks. Right. So I'm watching the back of Les Paul and Mary Ford going to all these tables, but beside me are these tape recorders running and recording and playing back the show. So when the show is over. Les Paul comes back to wipe his brow. He says, here, hold this kid. And he gives me his guitar, which had to weigh 35 pounds. With the pulverizer on it and the cords and the gooseneck mic and everything. Oh, heavy guitar. Right. So I hold the guitar. When it's all done, he does his encore. Comes back. He says, anything I could do before you go home? I said, yeah, show me the run to How High the Moon. Mm-hmm. Which is just a chromatic run. That kind of run going down. And he shows it to me, and that's great. So I go home. Fast forward 30 years. I'm opening for Van Halen, the 5150 tour with BTO. Yeah. 
Les Paul comes there with his son to see Eddie, the world's greatest guitar player. Uh, yep. And Sammy was the lead singer then. Yeah. And he goes and shakes hands with me. He comes up to me and he goes, do I know you? And I said, well, I met you like when I was like 16 at the Rancho Don Carlos. Right. And he goes, hold this kid. Like when he said to hold my kid, hold his guitar. And I go, you remember? He said, of course I remember you. But do you remember the lick and how high the moon? I said, yeah, get me a guitar. And I played the lick. Wow. That's awesome. That was pretty incredible. Then I find out two years ago, I come to the Troubadour to Neil Young's birthday party. Uh-huh. And Neil says, Neil had a great mother. Rassi Ragland was her name. He was divorced. She was divorced from his dad. So they came to live in Winnipeg where her family was and sisters were. And that's where I met Neil when he was a teenager. Mm-hmm. So she was a TV personality. There was a show called What's My Line or 20 Questions oh. where a panel stood behind somebody who came and you'd ask them questions. Do you drive a car? Do you sew? Do you paint? And you have to guess the occupation. So his mother was on there kind of like as a star, like mm-hmm. in Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. So Neil says, you know the story you tell about Les Paul? And I go, and he said, I was there that night at the Rancho Don Carlos. I go, what? He said, yeah, I had a table in front. My mother booked a table. She bought dinner. I saw Les Paul from the front. You were watching him from the back, and I watched him from the front. I said, yeah, but I saw the tape recorders. You know? Oh, my God. Yeah. That's a and great story. Then he invites me back to the Iridium Club many years later, mm-hmm. in 2000, I think, 2001. And he says, all guitar players, this is a pilgrimage, Monday night. So I've got a yeah. guy from Texas who's coming. He wants to play this song with me, so I'm going to invite him up. Then I have another special guest out in the audience who's going to play How High the Moon. And I figure, wow, I wonder who this guy is. And like slashes <laughs> yeah. in the audience with his hat and all this stuff. And he calls me up and he says, you're, you, and he tells the story, the Ranch yeah. and Carlos. And he plays How High the Moon and I get to play the lick. Oh, and then he says, awesome. now let's play one of yours. Oh. I go, what? Okay, three <laughs> chords, taking care of business, right? So Les Paul's going, doing all this weird stuff and taking care of business. Wow. Then he invites me to his place the next morning in Maupin, New Jersey, uh-huh. where all his stuff is. And there's nothing guitar players like more than gear. stuff, <laughs> gear, pedals, <laughs> tape recorders, pickups, all these things. And the next morning was 911. Oh. So I wake up. There's the plane is just crashed in the building. I look out the window. I met the Marriott on the 32nd floor. My manager called me. He says, look out the window. And I look and I see the Twin Towers are in fire. I'm supposed to do phoners that night because we were playing in New York that night and Boston two nights later. Uh-huh. I'm on tour with the Guess Who and our opening act, Joe Cocker. And I look at this and I say, is this a movie? He says, no, the trade tower's been attacked, and I can't go to see Les Paul. The bridges are closed. All the tunnels are closed. I never go to see Les Paul that morning and see all his stuff and get him to give me. He's going to give me something, right? right a log, right, the log right. guitar or something. This <laughs> is in my log, mind. Right. Right. And I never, I'm get, pretty to, sure that's I never get to see him again, yeah, and he yeah. passes away. Oh, but oh. I do have his autograph. He would never sign an autograph with a pen. Really? You took him a pick guard. Uh-huh. He'd reach in his back pocket and pull out a rock and nail. A spike that big, and he would scratch it into, into your pick card. P- no one will ever erase this, so he does Les Paul, and it's scratched. So I have the pick card from that for my Les Paul. Oh, that's an amazing yeah. story. All right, so your first big band, the Guess Who. Um, I have to ask about American Woman. I mean, one of the greatest rock songs ever put to tape. Originally, the, the song, it's sort of a, a thinly veiled takedown of America in the 1960s. Um, I'm certain the Vietnam War was forefront in, the, in, the, in your guys' minds while you're, you're writing it. Right. It's, it's, it's a dismissive of the times to your neighbor to the South, and rightly so. So my question is, how do you think the song fits in today's world? Um, it's perfect. Does it still have relevance it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. America's been at war for 300 years, mm-hmm. sometimes three or four at a time. Right. It's a war economy. Mm-hmm. And us being in Canada, like being the little brother or the runt of the litter or whatever you want to call it, watch the stuff going on. 
it's just insane how America tries to dominate the world. I think it's pretty much a corporate business thing. Yeah. Because really nobody cares about the starving people. Are we spending the money feeding these people instead of bombing them? All the average guy wants to do, if he lives in Iraq or Germany or Russia or the Ukraine or Canada or anywhere or Guam or Vietnam, is make a decent living, buy the cornflakes for his kids, put gas in the car, make love, get love back, have a nice time with your kids, break even at the end of the day after taxes. And live a life till you die naturally. Yeah. Not have your kids plucked at 18 out of school, put in a uniform, taught to kill each other with a different uniform on. The Air Force kills from the air. The Navy kills from the waters. The other guys who are on foot, they kill on land. Teaching you how to kill and you don't want to. And then you come back and your mind is like you're effed up for your whole rest of your life because you've shot yeah. kids who yeah. got bombs on them. You shouldn't be in the jungle in the first place. So we're touring the States and they're trying to draft us. We're Canadians. We're like between 20 and 30. Everybody gets drafted at 18 then. This is 66, 7, 8, 9. Right. Try to draft us. We escape away from the draft. These guys actually come. The White Helmet MPs guys come and arrest you. You got a green card. You can work in the States, pay tax in the States, be drafted, and fight for the USA. We're going back to Canada. Come back to Canada. We're playing a gig in London, Ontario. We're playing a gig in a curling arena. You know what curling is? Yeah. Oh, we put, all know what curling yeah, they, is now. Well, America now, won for a while uh, the Olympics. <laughs> yeah. They put plywood on the floor of a curling rink, and we right. go and play a dance. Yeah. We break a str- I break a string. I have no guitar, spare guitar. I have no roadie. I have no tech. So Burton Cummings says, Randy broke a string. We're going to take a break. I didn't have a tuner. I put the string on my Les Paul. I go over and kneel in front of Burton's piano. He had an electric piano. I'm tuning to his piano. And as I'm tuning to piano, I'm doing one, five, one, five, one, all E's and B's and E's, like over and all. That's why I tune my guitar, like on the seventh fret, an open E with a B, G, uh, B string open and the E string open, get all that in tune. That's how I, my head works, like the one, five, the, you know, the heavy metal chord. And um, I start to play. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and all the heads in the audience turn around. The kids are talking. That sounds cool. And I go, wow. <laughs> and I, so I stand up. The guitar's in tune. I'm standing. I start to play this riff. And all the heads are turning towards me playing that riff. Uh-huh. The band is out talking to kids. I mean, then they had popcorn. There's a DJ playing little records. But those who can hear me on stage can hear this riff. And so I'm, I get the, get the, ba- the bass player on and Gary Peterson, the drummer, on. And finally, Burton comes on. He goes, wow, what is that? I go, I don't know, but I'm going to play it over and sing something. Because when you sing something, you remember the riff. Because I knew I'd forget this riff. It's so simple. That riff is the same as my Sharona. Yeah. Whole lot of love. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Give me some loving. Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of thing. And I'm a man, that kind of thing. So you need to sing something. And I'd heard the story of McCartney when he wrote yesterday. He called it scrambled eggs. That's right. Yeah. And he and Jimmy Fallon even wrote a second verse for it on the <laughs> TV. So I said to Burton, sing something. I knew whatever he sang, the, the words would help me remember that riff. But the first thing he sang was American Woman, Stay Away From Me. And it wasn't really, it's not the woman on the street. Mm-mm. It's the Statue of Liberty in that poster, Uncle Sam Wants You. Yeah. White beard and the Stars and Stripes hat, and Uncle Sam Wants You. Well, what does he want you for? He wants you to go and fight for a barrel of oil in a jungle and get killed or kill someone else, kill or be killed, and he's going to screw up the rest of your life. So that's what the song was about. But we had such a momentum from these eyes laughing. Yeah. She's come undone no time. Radio just played it automatically, not realizing, and they couldn't play anti-war songs. They could only play Fighting Men of the Green Beret, Barry Sutherland. They couldn't play what, One, Two, Three, What Are We Fighting For? Nobody could yeah. play Country Joe or anything, even on FM. Right. They'd lose their license. Yeah. Evil so Destruction was about as good as Before the DJs realized right. this is kind of an anti-war protest song, we don't want your war machines, we don't want your ghetto scenes, yeah. that kind of thing, it was the number one song. So now I have to ask, 
you got invited to the White House, the Nixon White House. That was after I left. It was after you left. Oh, and they didn't didn't play play it. it. Right, right. And Burton said that was the end of their career. They lost all credibility with all the hippies and all the peace-loving, because all America was shifting then. They wanted Nixon out. They wanted the war over. If I was there, I would have launched into that song and made the greatest and be dragged off the fight right house, White House lawn by the MPs, right? Going, Fuck yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Um, okay. So, you know, uh, so many classics uh, from the Guess Who. These Eyes, No Sugar Tonight. Uh, a great version of Shaken All Over, by the way. I think which is, was the first. Uh, a personal favorite for mine, No Time. Uh, I, I would not ask you to choose one of your babies as an all-time favorite, but do you have a favorite today? You know, one that seems to be rolling around in your head recently or maybe really working uh, with the live band right now. They're kind of all my favorites. Yeah. Every song has, takes, when I play it on stage, and I tell the stories. I'm playing the Troubadour like in July, I yeah. think 22nd. Mm-hmm. I actually sit there and tell how we got the name, the Guess Who, mm-hmm. uh, how we got the song Shake All Over from England with Johnny Kidd and the Pirates. We copied it, it became number one in Canada and top 20 in Billboard. And how our lead singer left because we were suddenly called the Guess Who, and he was Chad Allen, and he didn't know, nobody knew who he was. <laughs> right. Then I went to the next band in town, stole their lead singer, Burton Cummings. Right, we right. became the yeah. new Guess Who, so to speak. Yeah. And I thought there could be a new Guess Who. There's the new Yardbirds <laughs> or the new whatever, right? And uh, so we started down that trail. And so um, when I tell the story how I wrote These Eyes, which is at a Joni Mitchell concert in Regina at the 4D, a, a folk club, Fourth Dimension. And then how we that song became a hit. Mm-hmm. I, I, I actually wrote it on piano. I don't write piano. But I had a brother who played accordion, so I learned to play his accordion. So right? it was a bit of an ode to Joni Mitchell, these eyes. Well, it was at her concert. Yeah. And I had met a woman at her concert oh. and took her home uh-huh. and then went for a date the next night. And when she was late, I sat at the piano in her house waiting, and I went boom, boom, and played that. And I was, I was, I was singing These Arms Long to Hold You. I mean, I wanted this chick. Right. And when I played it for Burton, he said, let's not call it these arms. Let's call it these eyes. <laughs> cry and then make the second line, these arms long to hold you again. So that was the, the big co-write. Right. And it changed our life forever. Oh, so, yeah. But when I tell that story, it takes me back to that moment. It takes the audience there. And then how the head of RCA, Rocco Leganestra, invited us in after we got our gold records from Dick Clark on American Bandstand for these eyes mm-hmm. and said, I want you guys to write another song like these eyes. <laughs> so out comes laughing. You know what I mean? A, a ballad. Uh, right, we said, right. we're a rock band. We yeah, don't want yeah. to be Gary Puckett and Union Gap. We don't want ballad after ballad. We want to rock. He said, radio ain't going to play rock by you guys. Give it a couple of years. Give another ballad, then change it a little, then you could be rocking in a couple of years. And we did. Mm-hmm. We went from These Eyes to Laughing, She's Come Undone, which was a weird, jazzy song that I wrote. Mm-hmm. And then into No Time, No Sugar Tonight, American Woman, which is a double A side. We yeah. had two double A sides, like the Beatles. Yeah. Undone and... and uh, Laughing were double A sides. Oh, that's right. American yeah. Woman uh-huh. and uh, No Sugar were the yeah. the longest and the shortest songs to ever be a double A side in, in Billboard Record World and Cashbox. Yeah, amazing, amazing. So, so you leave uh, the Guess Who and um, and of course BTO. Yeah. Backman Turner Overdrive. Now, you just mentioned how you went from kind of a ballady soft getting harder, harder, harder. Yeah. Now we're going even harder. I mean, this is three chord bar blues. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 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 heavy, heavy rock, you know, uh, in the 1970s. You know, obviously, uh, uh, TCOB uh, taking care of business. What, was, that, was that a reference to Elvis? You know, he used to say that all kidding? the time. Elvis that took that. Did he, oh, he took it from, of course. from you guys. Yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. No, I saw after Elvis passed away maybe six or seven years was the first special 
uh, on HBO. Mm-hmm. HBO was brand new then. Yeah, yeah. Of, with Priscilla. Uh-huh. And a couple of, Ed, who was his karate instructor, a couple of other guys, DJ Fontana. And they said to Priscilla, where did that come from? She said, oh, Elvis wanted to go. He owned a Dairy Queen uh-huh. in, in Memphis. And so we were driving to the L.A. thing to go back to the Dairy Queen to fly home. And he had to do stuff at Graceland anyways. And this song came on the radio by a Canadian band. She didn't name us. And Elvis said, turn that up. T- taking care of business. I want that as my band name. Yeah. Taking business right away. Do me a logo with a lightning bolt. And that became his, his thing, which was amazing. Because yeah. that's what made me switch to guitar from violin was seeing him on Ed Sullivan. So what, and it now came it's around. His, now around. it's on his tombstone. TC, yeah. TCD. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's amazing. And I had his guy in his band give me the TCB with the lightning bolt necklace, 24 karat gold, which I would never take anywhere. It's in my house. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, awesome. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Let It Ride, You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet. Um, I think one of only two songs with a stutter delivery. Uh, my Generation. That song uh, one, which amazed me. People said, why don't you do a show on stuttering? So I got Benny and the Jets, yeah, my yeah. generation. Yeah. Baby, you ain't seen nothing yet. Too much time in my hands by sticks. Oh. So I did a whole show on stuttering. <laughs> and then that came out on the radio, and I got an award from the Stuttering Association of North America saying it was the best stuttering song of all because because it was done with love. Yes. And I was emulating my brother who stuttered, right? Oh, really? And yeah, that was the real personal story. So I have this thing framed in my house. Mm-hmm. Which beat Benny and the Jets and my generation. And you got like one that. up on Elton John. That's good. Yeah. That's good. That's yeah. good. Wow. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, and then, of course, rolling on down the highway. But that's one of, I'm one of my all-time favorites. You know, I got to tell you, you know, the, just the name of the band. When I was a kid going rummaging through the record stores, I, I, I remember just coming across the, the album. And I just loved the, the name. Rackman right. Turner Overdrive. Well, first, we were called Brave Belt. We were a country band. Yes, uh, when I left the Guess Who, I didn't want your brothers. I didn't want to be yeah. a second-rate Guess Who. Right. You can't beat the voice of Burton Cummings, one of the greatest voices oh. in rock. Oh yeah. So whatever band I got, and I'd be writing songs like I did in the Guess Who, whoever was singing wouldn't sound good. Mm-hmm. So on Neil Young's advice, like totally back up, go a different direction, do country rock. So I love Buffalo Springfield, Poco. Firefall bands like that that were doing kind of country rock The Birds Sweetheart of the Rodeo mm. so I started a country band basically that had an accordion a fiddle a pedal steel acoustic guitars and lots of harmony mm-hmm. and we'd go play somewhere and everyone would expect the Guess Who songs and wouldn't get it so I do two albums Neil gets me a, a deal with Reprise with Mo Austin at Warner Brothers the album's going over they call and say we have to drop you we're, we really feel there's something there so Brave Belt 3 is given back to me I shop it to 26 labels, nobody wants it. A guy at Mercury Records in Chicago, Charlie Fash, yeah. calls me up and says, I love this album, but you gotta change your name, and you gotta put your name back when in there, because people know it from, DJs will yeah, recognize well it from, the, point, from right. the Guess Who, and you'll mm-hmm. get some airplay. Yeah. So I said, well, it's me and my couple of brothers and Fred Turner, we'll call ourselves Backman Turner. So we get booked in coffee houses because this is the era of Seals and Crofts and Brewer and Shipley who show up with a mandolin and a acoustic right, guitar and people think rock, we're playing yeah, soft yeah. rock. <laughs> we were blowing coffee cups off the tables. We're playing coffee houses. Right. So he says, you need something to show you have a heavy name. Mm-hmm. And after a gig one night where nobody was there as Brave Belt, we're at a truck stop you know, eating our greasy cheeseburgers like two in the morning. And there's a trucker's magazine called Overdrive. 
right at the cash register where I'm paying. And I pick it up and I open it up and there's a centerfold, like Playboy magazine. Instead of a naked chick, it's the inside of a guy's truck. Yeah. This got a leopard skin yeah, ceiling yeah, and yeah, a little TV yeah. and a stereo and everything. And then he had an eight-track player and a little thing to hold a book. These guys read books when they're driving. Go, Holy cow, <laughs> a thing to turn pages and read a book. And I say to Fred, what a great name for an album. Because mm-hmm. then you had an album title. Yeah. Like Fragile by Yes. Yeah. That's what we called ours, Not, not Fragile. fragile. <laughs> and Fred said, no, never mind an album title, the name of the band. That shows our music, Overdrive. It had never been used in music before, that mm. word. Yeah. So I, I take the magazine, I buy it, it's like a buck and a quarter. I write to the, the head guy of the magazine, he sends me back a letter. I said, can we use this name for a band? He said, yeah. We're, sure, It's a different thing. Awesome. We're right. a magazine, right. you'll yeah. be a band. Yeah. 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 You'll be the first band, and you'll promote our magazine and blah, oh. blah, blah. And, yeah. and we'll give you a review at the back of the album. This is a trucker's album kind uh-huh. of thing. So I called Charlie Thatch the next day, because he's told me to get a name. And... Where I'm paying at the cash register, there's a little space where napkins are. You know those little chrome things, a vertical thing, and then the magazine. Yeah. So I know, being a songwriter, having an idea, you must write everything down. Mm-hmm. The great dream you had last night that you start to tell him about had the world's greatest dream last night, starring me and Angelina Jolie or somebody, right, or <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow or something, or Pamela Anderson, whatever your dream is. <laughs> And then you forget the dream, so you have to write everything down. You get a song idea in your sleep, you write it down. Right. A lot of guys now have an iPhone, but yeah. then you have to write down. So I take a napkin. There's no place to put the napkin long way. So I write Bachman, under it Turner, and under that Overdrive. So down the left side is BTO. Oh, yeah. I call Charlie Fatch the next morning and go, I got the name, I got the name. Like Chicago then, Chicago Transitory were CTA. They had to change it That's to right, Chicago. That's right, to Chicago, yeah, yeah. Crosby, Stills, Nash were CSNN. Yeah. I've got the name. Back when Turner Overdrive, because man, is great. It sounds very German, because he was German, Charlie Bach. Yeah, yeah. Bachman is a German name yeah, with two ends yeah. on the end. But it's too long. It's too long a name. And I go, Charlie, B T. Oh, right. He goes, that's it. Yeah. We go back to Vancouver. We're taking pictures at Mushroom Studios. The photographer's saying to me, we're in a grassy field, but it's a hill. Back up a little. You're trying to get sunshine. The best pictures are in daylight at about four in the afternoon. Yeah, magic sunlight, hour. Or right, between right, then yeah. and twilight. Yeah. So he says to me, back up, and I fall over something that's in this prairie grass, grass about this high. And I say to Fred, help me move this thing. There's a big wooden thing there. And the photographer wants me to stand here so the sunlight's on me. The four of us are there getting our pictures taken. And so we, we lift this thing up. And this gigantic eight-foot wooden gear that's on the back yes, of BTO right. one mm-hmm. We're holding it up. The photographer goes, that's great. And Fred goes, this looks like an overdrive gear from a Ferrari. And I go, there the angels it. have done it again. <laughs> Besides finding them, we now have an overdrive gear that we then put on the front with BTO and a leaf to show we were Canadian. But the back of the first BTO album, we're actually holding the real gear. I then went and got, bought that gear three years later, made it a light in my house. It was a big wooden gear that they used to make a mold in a lumber mill when they're making the gears to make the big logs uh, go, slide down the conveyor belt to slice them into planks and wow, boards. Amazing. So I took that and made it a light in my house. Oh, really? I had to use tow truck chain. It thing weighs like 800 pounds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, guess who? BTO, two great bands that you were in. Um, uh, you know, 80s, the 90s, uh, you know, there, there's 
your solo work, um, uh, obviously the reunions that you, you did to those guys. But I want to ask about Vinyl Tap, uh, your your radio okay. program. And I, I got to say, how I was introduced to, to it was, I, I think it's 2014, uh, you made it to the most famous crosswalk in all of the planet. Oh, I did. Uh, and you, uh, you got a chance to uh, sit down with uh, Giles Martin, which is uh, the current archivist and son of George Martin. Um, uh, and he said you, you could listen to anything you wanted. And what you chose was an oppor- opportunity to dissect the most famous core yeah. in all of rock and roll. Well, he was at the time doing Love, preparing the, the, the Beatles show, the, the Beatles show in Vegas, right? Going through all the tracks. He had come to my flat. I had a flat in London, Covent mm-hmm. Garden, and I met him at, we have the same chiropractor, as is Pete Townsend and all the guitar players. They all go to this Canadian, <laughs> all the, Canadian all chiropractor. Paul, all you Les Paul no, this, guys. This, you know? Yeah, exactly. This Canadian <laughs> chiropractor, right? And he's, um, when I'm coming out, he says, the guy who was in before you wants to meet you. His name is Giles. So I go and I say, hi, Giles. Nice to meet you. What do you do? He says, I'm in the music business. <laughs> I go, what do you do? He says, I help my father. I says, so what do your father do? He says, my father's George Martin. I go, oh, duh, are you kidding? Shoot me with a, you know, give me a shotgun, right? So I invite him to my flat, and he comes to my flat. I have a flat warming, and he says, uh, what are you doing next week? Come on down Wednesday. I have all the source tracks, transferring all the Pro Tools, and I'm mixing love for this Beatles show in Vegas. So I go down there, and he plays me John's guitar chord in the, for the beginning of Hard Day's Night chord. Then he plays me Paul's bass note. Then he plays me George Harrison's note. And then there's a secret track a lot of people don't know about. George Martin went in and played three bottom notes on a piano to, to match the bass, what George played on his guitar and the bass and John's thing, which gives it a very... When you, when you say that these chords should fit together, in your head, they don't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jo- John is playing a D chord with a G on top, so it's a suspended right. thing. Paul McCartney's playing a D yeah, bass. Sus, right? Yeah. George is playing uh, a G, an F chord with a G on top yeah. and a G on the bottom, which is what he plays on the outro of Hard Day's Night. So that's kind of an F ninth with an F bottom. And then George goes, uh, George Martin goes out and plays a G on the bottom, an F, and a D. Uh-huh. That's a squash, like chopsticks. When you play it on the piano. But when you spread it out and put that bass note on the bottom, that's what a lot of jazz guys do. You're playing a chord, they play a note that's in the chord that's really weird. If you play it on guitar or piano, it sounds like a mistake. But on the bottom, it gives this chord this wonderful ka-ching ring. And so you just count one, two, three. And I did this on my radio show, and uh, it kind of went viral all it over did. the world. That's when you I play that it, chord, yeah. all that stuff together, it's just magical. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the magic came from the... 12-string Rickenbacker guitar that I think was the second or third one ever made. Mm-hmm. One went to Jim McGuinn, one went to George Harrison. Mm-hmm. But the Rickenbacker guitar has the low string first, then a high string. Low, high, low, high, low, high. Yeah. So when you strum it, the last note you're hearing is the high, the high low E, the high low A, the high low D. It gives an extra ring. If you ever notice Pete Townsend playing Can't Explain, if you hear the beginning of Can't Explain, there's this wonderful highness to the guitar. He plays it with upstrokes. Oh, so he goes, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and you hear the high notes first, and that mm-hmm. gives Can't Explain the sound. But when you play it as a strum on Hard Day's Night, it also gives the extra harmonics or notes, and the piano, having three strings on each note there, gives, gives that Hard Day's Night chord, I think, 22,000 overtones or frequencies that some professor at Dalhousie University in Halifax dissected with a, with a sound meter or whatever they're called. I just know what I, 
what George Martin, what Charles Martin showed me there and wrote it down, and so that became the chord. Well, I think it's fitting that we uh, we come to the close here uh, talking about the Beatles. Uh, you, me too. You, you know, you were obviously a huge lover of uh, of the band. It shows. Uh, love the Without album a doubt, by George. By the Batman. greatest band of all time that changed music forever. Oh yeah, there's uh, five, the more. Uh, the more as time goes on, the more, and the more bigger, they yeah. dig out the outtakes mm-hmm. and the other versions of Strawberry Fields that were yeah. in different tempos. Yeah. How these oh, how guys they went in together. and experimented yeah. with themselves. Yeah. Along with George Martin and his yes. help, no, too. He basically yeah. was the great yeah. fifth yeah. Beatle. Yeah. What so, he did with these four train wrecks, because the, these personalities were very diverse. Yeah. Put them in a bottle, put in a cork, shake it up, take out the bottle, a lightning bolt comes out, and the world goes nuts. Unbelievable. Every single, every song, every album was totally different. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, uh, tour this summer, uh, I take it? By Georgia. I'm coming back to play, I think, July the 22nd at the Troubadour. Maybe... Yeah. Uh, Maybe the twenty first. It's yeah, a Saturday. Yeah. Okay, All and right. we'll have some. We'll special, try to make that. So. We'll have some special guests there because uh-huh. Walter Trout guested on "While My Guitar Gently Weeps," the greatest guitar solo. It's like Clapton landed in the studio, but it was Walter Trout. Yeah, oh. uh, and the end of "My Guitar Gently Weeps." When you hear him come in on his solo, it just makes me. It makes me weep every time I hear it. Well, Randy, we could go on forever okay. uh, talking about this. So we'd love to have you back. I'm sometime. getting waves that I, say me no. Too. I know, I know. We'll 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 get back together sometime okay. in the future. It was great having you. Thanks very much Thank for being on much. Deeper Digs and Rock. Thanks. What an articulate storyteller. Well, of course, now you know, since 2005, Randy has had his own radio show on the CBC in Canada that can also be found on the Sirius XM system as well. That's where he first broke down the Hard Day's Night opening chord. I wish we had much more time with him. We could have gone on for hours, and let me tell you, he would have. Our wonderful handler was trying to wrap us up several times, and he'd add another grace note to the discussion. Thank you again, Randy Backman. So, go out and grab a copy of By George, By Backman, and let us know what you think of Randy's reinterpretations. You can send us comments at rockandrollarchaeology.com, our Facebook page is at the RNRAP, or tweet us at RNRarchaeology. I'm Christian Swain, and this has been Deeper Digs in Rock, a production of Rock and Roll Archaeology. Keep coming back for more. Oh, and uh, please tell a friend. Keep up the rockin'. Through space
Hey diggers, Christian Swain here with a short pause for a great cause. We believe music education for young people is an investment in a better future for all of us. If you listen to our podcasts, chances are you agree. Little Kids Rock has transformed the lives of more than 650,000 public school students by bringing music education into their schools. Little Kids Rock trains teachers in underfunded schools to teach kids the music they love. From the Beatles to Bruno Mars, Led Zeppelin to Lady Gaga, Chuck Berry to Chance the Rapper. Little Kids Rock has become a national movement to restore, expand, and innovate music education in public schools across America. Visit littlekidsrock.org and learn more about how you can help put music where it belongs, in our schools. Thank you, and let's keep up the rockin' right into the next generation. Deeper Digs in Rock, produced and hosted by Christian Swain. All sound design and incidental music by Busy Signal Studios. All quotes performed by actors unless noted. Playlists can be found at iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Please purchase these great and important tracks. All songs, clips, and references can be found on our show notes. Please visit rnrap.com for more information. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points. 